Hi guys, welcome back to season 6, episode 21 of Melanie Problem Podcast. And I'm going to talk about another good childhood show to mine, Code and Kid Next Door. Now, Code and Kid Next Door is an interesting premise. It's a group of kids who have to fight adults and teenagers who literally want to kill them or beat their butts. I think also that for more the more interesting villains that I remember on top of my head, like the candy shop owner who was secretly a dentist, and an old lady who had talking organs for friends and wanted to stuff the children's faces full of food until they were immobile. And it doesn't get more more interesting than the pink eye crumb cake. Uh, lovely. But for the most part, watching it then, it was entertaining. Watching it now, I'm like, what's going to happen next? And what bizarre villain's going to try to destroy these children? I think also, it was certainly a show that had children embrace, you know, a very imaginative gross imagery but i will say i feel like there was some aspect or like i think access is the, is the white word for it uh for the show in general i feel like we're cutting connect story it would just it was it was more deeper, I feel like. I think it had more depth of childhood and aging. I feel like Code Name Connect Store dealt with a lot of themes of children who fight against child abuse, indoctrination, um, conformity, and other harmful things that were to them. For example, one of the villains they encountered called Count Spacula, a vampire whose mission is to spank children until they're sore. And that's framing him as a monster, conveying one large part of what this show was about. Hurting kids is bad, and then the kids had to defend themselves because it's the adults, like Spacula, who are doing this to them. And the people who are supposed to detect them turns out to be the one causing the pain, so they have to fight back. And I understand being the, that, that they can. And I feel like all these kids that are trained combat are like just like the, just like the young Osprey, like John Wick and every Frank. I feel like if child services were real in the show it would have failed them left and right and Conan kid next door existed to protect themselves and their fellow children to make sure that they were safe to get to have that carefree childhood that they deserve so maybe they be less inclined to enter that abusive cycle and these characters made these kind of statements in the show that the adults are kind of ruining their lives and in the literal sense they are sometimes in the show we'll display how childhood events can shape us in the episode one season one episode four operated cowgirl we were introduced to a recurring villain called mr fibs and mr wink who appeared and i'm not even to explain or rationalize it um the episode also featured Lasso Lass, a rare adult character on the side of Kid Next Door. And the part of the episode that interests me the most is when Mr. Phipps, who's known who knew Lasso Lass in school, laminated about how she didn't go to prom with him when they were kids. And the most aspers she dangled her over a pool of lava. Not cool then, by the way. But what I noticed was this adult villain who is still hanging on some type of pain from his youth, pain based on a false sense of entitlement, but pain nonetheless. So the part of what fueled his modern anger is because of something that happened to him as a kid and that doesn't reflect any part of what the show is expressing in that time but what happened to us when we're young affected us down the line certainly mr fib case is far from trauma is not a sympathetic reaction to how he ended up but you know what i'm getting at i think there are more better examples from the show down the line like there's another episode in the show in season three episode six called operation archive number one who's actually spelled out the kidnaps are operators narrative that story depicting the world as originally being populated by only children who grew bored of their lives and created adults as forms of entertainment in a social labor um try to 
being asked to play all hours of the day, and one adult refused to play horsey with a child, resulting in being squared in the face with a water gun. The adult responded by sexually inventing spanking the form of adult uprising. It's unfair for the kids to treat the adults that way they did, but we can see the information of the power imbalance between adults and children that response to a splash of water in the face was a physical violence, which was then lured over to the children to keep them in line. Eventually, that formed a treaty as the kids, the children miss Earth, and they went to the moon to escape, and then the adults to come to much of the same boredom they befell their creator. They established the concept of families, living peace, and, well, no. The adults continued to abuse that power and balance they discovered, creating schools to bring rights to children and forcing them to do difficult chores much better suited to adults. And this created the world we live in today, where adults have all the power and use it to keep kids underneath them, ensuring that they grow to uphold the hierarchy. And then code codename Kid Next Door, which formed to fight back and regain autonomy. But whether the audience is meant to take this story literal or not, it's not for debate, but regardless, I think it's a good avenue to examine the show depiction of dynamics between adults and children. But I feel like Codename Kid Next Door run on this concept of children fighting for themselves, protecting themselves, for becoming more of what they defended themselves against. It's the type of youth empowerment that is presented in much of the child's media today of this calendar. But for Codename Kim Next Door to have it at its core, it's not just part of its show, it is the show. And when I'm watching it as an adult, it's a little, it's a little sad, it's a little depressing. Um, but honestly, it's rock watching it as a, as a pack of children knock the crap out of abusive adults. But there's a catch, I feel like. For all the operas of Codename Kim Next Door, can only be the members up to the age of 12, and when they turn 13, they must get all their memories wiped of the time in Kid Next Door from their experience, their friends, and their values. And clearly, some of the adults and teens in the universe are aware of the kids, but most of the time, because they're in opposition to them, they don't pay that much mind to it. If you were in Kid Next Door, you probably never knew it. And this time, when the procedure is portrayed in the show as somber, the sentence are like mass funerals. The concept is introducing it in the last episode of season one, and from there on, the show grows an overarching aura of dread about its protagonist. They all know that eventually they're going to be going to be them undergoing memory loss. They'll forget everything, everyone, become someone different from who they were as children. And as we learn in season four, episode 11, Operation Maurice, the Kid Next Doors aren't even allowed to interact with decommissioned operatives. It's scary and it kind of ruins your life when you're watching it. Um, I think, you know, we all remember when we were like 12 years old, turning on sleeping with a thin foam mattress in the living room. That was exciting sleeping, you know, somewhere other than your own bed. It was like a sleepover where you were only one attendance. I feel like that made yourself comfortable when you arrived at the Coney Kid next door and you found the last ending scene of Kid Next Door and you haven't watched the show in a while. So at some point you watched it and you become all sentimental and emotional, you know, and then started to think of how you would turn 13 soon and how your kidhood would essentially be over and you wish you could stop aging and feel determined to never grow up, even if your body didn't always agree with you. And despite this, you know, growing up and did believing I did grow out of all the cartoons and say things like, which made my relationship with my interests feel fragile. But like some nights where you stop caring about the movies, the videos, the games, the books, and daydreaming of your youth, before you know it, you're turning 19 and actually allowed to believe in yourself, believe the things that were the core of your being. Being afraid to be without them, but maybe less so when I believe it would happen one way or the other, since letting myself accept that this is who I am, it felt even scarier and the intrusive thoughts screaming at me because I just don't care anymore hurt more. Maybe those thoughts were easier to brush off when I believed them to an extent. And I think that's 
the show is that part of that, but why I believe in begin with. Aging within the show's concept is presented as decaying, becoming boring, even turning evil. Even regular non-villain adults are portrayed as dull and exciting average Joes who are interested in paperwork and the weather. Kidnex Store's idea of aging is like a reckoning of the end of time, the death of the child. This is what it can feel like when you're that age, looking around at the adults who seem uninterested in all that stuff. And I feel like that made up your entire life at that point. And realizing that you're going to be you someday, you're not going to still be watching cartoons when you grow up, right? That's what most people believe. And I still watch cartoons today because you are never too old to watch cartoons. So let's get that fact straight. But upon reflection, I feel like I do believe the show is too necessarily the blame for my growing up thinking that I eventually would grow up all my favorite things that adulthood meant something switch where I primarily become interested in adult things whatever that meant paperwork or weather but I cannot say that I resent the show because of the reading re-examination I think but I think um there's a quote from the show I used to be someone somebody in another skin I think that quote very stuck with me when I'm looking back on it and I took notes because I'm like this show it it cut deeper than I far think of and I'm thinking from season one episode 13 grown up capping off season one where the show first examined the character's somber outlook of aging and towards the beginning number one details of how he's been on trip for something to be on trip for some decommissioned opera it talks about how some won't leave out a fight and seeing characters search for freshly turned 13 year old operas who would rather cause a spaceship to crash than undergo procedures excuse me number two said he can't imagine anything worse than leaving kid next door nothing worse than turning 13 than growing growing up basically and the episode continues presenting just that number one is attacked with an age-raising ray by the delightful children down the lane that's also scary that is something like, like a shiny reference or like kind of a horror reference but a recurring set of a villain the group loses the battle number one is turned to a middle-aged man and in a snap he said he could no longer be part of the team and laminates the loss of his childhood he did he isn't decommissioned no one told anyone beyond the central five cares about what happened to him but he decides to abandon the team to get himself a grown-up job I can see this in hindsight how much like number one when I was when I was a child he sees adulthood as the complete eradication of childhood and sense of self and when he ages accelerately he applies the outlook to himself he becomes sour easily agitated rejecting his old friends any help they are trying to give him but the grim outlook and adulthood I took from that as a heart of the child viewer but as, as I say this I miss some key nuances an interaction with number one number five who tells him it's not your age that changes you it's you while growing up you will indeed change who we are to some degree it's our mindset about how this can be the most detrimental but when you look at it number one you have a, he had a fixed idea what adults are like and didn't see any other option beyond that he only applied his ideas of what adulthood is to his sudden change in stature but number five recognizes that an age does not determine a person's Throughout hearing her, number one rises up and raises the delightful children and manages to assist his team in retrieving the age, changing device, changing it back. Even though he's in an adult body, he decides to be himself, yet he gets referred back to his child form. That would be kind of a quite body horror side angle, if not. But the point of the episode is this, is that who you are does not vanish with age. And I think also the children. The delightful children down the lane. Yes, they are interesting case of children characters who are on the villain side. And are in fact the children of a big bad character named Father. 
been to Detroit for a, a villain, a common character, or as our worst abuser often is our guardian. But I feel like the delightful children are a collective of five kids, somewhat mirroring the five main characters that seem to operate as a hive mind, always speaking at the same time, always saying the same thing, moving a close-knit path conceptually. I think they operate as a reference point for the kids next door didn't want to become. The delightful children are the worst case scenario for the kids next door loses the war with adulthood and unsurprisingly it all circles back to abuse we're introduced to the father in the final episode of season one we can see the children are afraid of father's wrath when they fail to apprehend the kids next door and we'll find in a classic shot angle of that place that's underneath the fiery gates of their father with a high angle and a low angle where they're looking up at him upon his throne in his mansion he threats them with or else statement after they become back home soaking left from a range store and battle from their bra with the, their do-gooder counterparts and they tremble in fear and this is the show's way of showing us what happens when no one's around to send out for children in the clusters of abusers i think also i think i forgot about a character that i kind of remember just just right now um chad dixon aka number 274 his first introduction in season one is a rear kids next door operative or was in season two episode 13 operated end he attempts to frame any member of the kid next door who knew about his upcoming 13th birthday as being 13 themselves thus having the memory erased so that he could continue as the operative however when he gets found out he reveals himself to be the real villain he already started looking down on the youngest member of the team he succumbed to the teenage resentment of preteen even though he was finding it presley to to keep being one and then the transition from kidhood to teenagehood is scary i'm not gonna lie it's a lot of different changes it's scary and you know everyone acts out similar ways that chad did although my focus was more against my past self and I turn back the pages of my diary and scribble over them, bullying my younger self for any interest I deem cringy. It's a really odd phenomenon for both me and number 274 because both of us intensely were so adamant to keep our youth. I even hated teenagers as a child. And though throughout my time being a teenager, actually, still we both lost our way. The next time we see him, he's using this information on the kids next door to plan an attack on them as guided by an adult. You either, you either get decommissioned or as a hero or retain your memories long enough to use them as a villainy. And I feel like his character also presented the concept of teenagers as vehicles for adults to do further damage. The organization of teens is motivated by their distaste for annoying children, but they're also often seen being interrupted by adults to do harm to the kids next door. When you become a teenager, society begins to expect you to participate. You want a job, a driver's license, to keep getting older. Adults within the show see teenagers as children they won over, the ones who are going to do both their bidding and keep the war against childhood going. Chad's hatred of children grew from the presses against him to stop being one, and he wound up being exactly what the adult society wanted him to be, another cog in the machine. In season three, episode four, Operation Foundation, the life of children said the ultimate goal of any kid should be to grow up. And I think there's also like the negative of the show, like, you know, the worst case scenario depicting the upside down world. And I feel like we're in the system in your place as in your face nightmares and cruel child labor is, is how the world goes round. Kids stacked on top of each other, e- even functioning at bus, bus stops. And adults enjoying the simple pleasures usually directs at children. Kid next door are instead the destructive, nefarious kids terrorizing all the other kids outside the organization and ensuring a miserable life full of fear. In addition, the world, the characters' personalities are flipped. Negative number one is a wimp. Um, negative Lizzie, number one's girlfriend, is simply abusive towards Sam. And life of children are interested little trigger dudes for children's defense. And father is a doting dad dedicated to their well-being. And the difference made it for a more obvious method of presenting that same dynamic as seen as the positive universe. Instead, the small group of life of children represent the 
the anti-theorist the kid next door and the negative universe has a widespread group in the dnk is a grim reality color with sludge and dirt and i feel like I've gotten the chance to talk about lazy before until now this seemed like a perfect opportunity essay before she is number one's girlfriend a little girl with a very loud personality and short temper while she is very overbearing nigel number one's real name cares for her and their dynamic can be rather cute when she isn't verbally berating him which i get the sense i'm supposed to be laughing at but it's just a poorly aged concept of the show she is demanding of his attention which is hard to come by but she managed and she tries to take care of him too making him take breaks from his busy schedule they are affectionate with each other and looks out for one another when lazy gets sucked into the bottom of the pool number one is shift very quickly to dive in after her but then a pair of them get captured by easily and negative one but manage to escape as stated the dynamic between negative one and izzy isn't as cute as their counterpart but when izzy sees the positive one pair hug she reacts in about the same way lizzie would she's envious of them um and this should tell the viewer that these negative world dwellers are inherently evil but they want the exact same thing as their positive world twins envy can turn to sour hatred and the dnk which they had with the kids next door's hat so they try to destroy it in a jealous raids instead they find recollection and the members of the nk learn to drop their weapon and renounce the things the organization stood for the negative world inhabitants are so different from their positive ones after all but all i needed was a shove in the right direction still easily amplifies in the best of her reaction to hug and cover that she's a 10 year old girl that just wants love and i feel like number four was always the one number four was always my favorite um, as a kid, but on Revisit it, it was number one who really like grabbed my attention. He was the leader of the five kids in Sector 5, and he was the serious one most of the time. He focuses on the missions that kept the team safe and in line. He's still a kid who is seen enjoying carefree playtime, but in missions to protect his fellow children from the tyranny of adults, and he became obsessed. I feel like Nigel's very hyper-focused on his role, and the kid next door had turned him into the opposite of what the kid next door stood for. He's a workaholic at the age of 10, never slowing down unless he is literally forced to, or physically unable to, and live that rigid way. That's just kind of sad. And what made it even more sad, though, is underneath that fearless leader persona, he's still only a kid with childish fear and limited uh, perspective. But I feel like his character, and when you have a less dialogue character study from a potential character reaction to encountering horse line treehouse number one is alone and when he sees the flies he's terrified he's running for his life from this tiny thing that couldn't hurt him if he tried i mean i like this look at him because he doesn't have to be everyone's fearless leader just a little boy afraid of a bug and i think you know another side which we see his work a step size when they he's being dragged kicking and streaming to just take a day off at the beach but as soon as they get there he's on the way back to sector 5 base and the next scene we see in him is a glum face upon the kid next door higher up to having absolutely nothing for him to do no missions no work he doesn't know what to do with himself without his job he's not like this in every episode but like i said before he plays off and goes off with his friends though sometimes he can't even can't even when he wants to i feel like operation snowden or snowing when he's sick in bed when he couldn't get up and run outside duty calls of course but when he's not ridden and holds himself out of being a hero as seen in the episode beach he feels like he has nothing else this is his Id- identity and if he rests he ceases to be himself and we already seen that he can take a little more than he's than he's used to if you recall number five talking some in some sense into him and grown up the relationship between these two is very special they are best friends with mutual respects and pretty equal skill set but where Nigel is the type of fake cool abby number five's real name is genuine she looks, she looks out for nigel and you can see things he can't she's smart strong-willed and no one it comes to take a breath 
take a breath basically they gotta take a breather and she helps him balance him and the rest of the chaotic team out but i feel like in episode season six episode three operation white house that nyla didn't actually pass the test to get immediate into the codename kid next door and number five hacked the system to put him through she saw the leader that he could be and pulled him through the hardship to get him into those shoes for me that version best summarized the relationship as one of a complete understanding for each other i think that's very perfect for this relationship in this show because of that series i feel like Another episode in Operation Maurice, going back to that, when we're introduced to a new character, one with a rich history that the show manages to implicate in just six minutes. Maurice is number nine, a close friend of number five, and her sister, Cree, the former number 11, now front woman of the Evil Teenage Collective. In a flash, we see all three of them as members of the Kid Next Door. In fact, number nine was the leader of Sector 5, and through flashbacks and the jump forward to number nine sitting with the present day sector five is playing that he's revered and blood member of the organization dear friend to the main cast and the positive opera the shame it's his 13th birthday he is decommissioned take place in a large state in the field with co-naked operatives sector five persistence at the table of thunder number nine looks out to the crowd and said i like to remember like to say i'll remember you all forever but as you know my decommissioned will erase all my memories of you brave exploits and our fun times together number five buries her heads in her arms. Marie shrieks at her during the process. Like I said, these ceremonies are treated much like funeral because it is a death of sorts. This episode showed more vulnerable side of number five. She's the voice of reason, but number one, she's still only a kid and who had just lost a friend. She was the closest to Maurice and is the one to take him home when he comes out of decommission and has no idea where he is, no recollection of the faces in the room. Back at the treehouse, she mopes soon reminded by number three that it's her own birthday soon she's next at her sugary sweet friend though she quick to, to apologize she rants about the futility of it all she says she has no choice but to get close to teenhood and to adulthood no matter how much she doesn't want to and after losing maurice it all becomes more that more real for her because it could happen to him it could happen to her and she's as fragile as every kid out there and there was a quote that I remember from the show, and that quote was, I'll dream each night of some version of you that I might not have, but I did not lose. Now your tire tracks and no one pair of shoes. I'm split in half, but that will have to do. And that front of the episode, seeing Sector 5 attempt to keep Maurice out of the clutches of evil teenage organization who seek to recruit him. Unfortunately, it doesn't take long for them to get him, and number 5 is devastated. Sometime later, she seeks revenge on Cree, who infected her with chicken pox, depicted as little chicken heads sticking out of her, the holes of her face. It is one of the scuffles over their excommunication of number 9. She locates Cree on this island populated by diseased chicken and they find one more heartbreaking for good measure. Maurice has joined forces with teens and has begun dating Cree. She laminates the loss of both individuals of teenhood and says, look at me, I'm practically a teen now, I can't keep fighting it. I, I give up. A flawless vocal line delivered by Cree Summer's project and invokes her hopelessness. But there's a good twist to it. Cree gets pushed into a sea of chickens and Maurice reveals to number five that he was never decommissioned at all. It's part of a secret connect star branch of teenager operas gathering information for the kids. Abby is reminded that while growing up is a promise, it doesn't have to be the end. I feel like it's very important because you think like, oh, teenhood is somehow going to destroy like the whole realm of just being fun. But that's not like not the case at all because as shown here, Maurice never really fully decommissioned. So he was never lost his memories of his friends. Like he still remembers them, but he has to act like he doesn't remember them just in case of the mission. Because like I said, he joined another sector of Kid Next Door where he still gets to be part of that. And I feel like... I don't know. I feel like we're Kid Next Door. It was just one of those very interesting shows that where sometimes 
the the loss of growing up but like you never truly lose yourself because no matter how old you get you're still like the inner kid still is somewhere deep inside you and i feel like that that part never really truly goes away and i feel like for most of Code and Kingdom Store, we saw a, a prime example of that. And I feel like, you know, shows like that really expressing like the ageism, growing up, adulthood, teenagehood, like no matter how old you get, friendship will still be there. I feel like for the most part, I feel like this brings a type of healing because you're rekindling with that hurt kid inside that took a cartoon, you know, that you love and showing a different life though how you fell in love with it for the like, silly stuff. And you gotta think when you turn older or when you turn 18, for example, you gotta think to yourself, is this really me? Thinking about Ninja Turtles all the time, they crafted and elaborate daydreams about what Freddy Krueger's Starbucks order would be. Or as my imaginary time bomb ticks down, I was still playing all the time. I wonder, is this it? And you know, I don't know what to say to it other than that. Why did I think, you know, Kids Next Door was the show like I want to be part of because of that emphasis of, you know, never wanting to like grow up and you know at the end of the day you never truly grow you still that little kid someone deep, deep inside you that's still waiting to be free and you just gotta let, let them out sometime because at the end of the day growing up isn't as bad as it we as we thought it was going to be but thank y'all for tuning this episode of Codename Kid Next Door which is podcast episode and keep tuning in for more fun cartoon shows that I keep going over until then I'll see you soon for the podcast episode until then bye